kick off with a story. The year was 1886, a long time ago, over 130 years if you're counting. The place was Philadelphia, a city in America. And there was a sobbing little girl outside a small church where she'd been turned away because it was too crowded. I can't go to Sunday school, she sobbed, as the pastor happened to walk by. Seeing her shabby, unkept appearance, the pastor guessed the reason and took her by the hand and took her inside and found a place for her in the Sunday school class. This little girl was so touched by the pastor's kindness, she went to bed that night thinking about all of the children that she knew that needed a place where they could be to hear about God's love. Sadly, two years later, this little girl passed away in one of the poor tenement buildings nearby this small church, kind of like commission flats run down. And the parents of this girl who sadly passed away called the kind-hearted pastor who had befriended their daughter over the last two years as she continued to go to Sunday school and asked if he would handle her funeral arrangements. As her little body was being taken away from the room and they were clearing through her stuff, they found a worn, crumpled red purse. looked like it had been kind of uh, scrambled or rummaged from the local rubbish tip. Inside was 57 cents and a note scribbled in somewhat childish handwriting, and this is what the note said. This is to help build the little church bigger so more children can go to Sunday school. For two years, she'd been saving this offering of love, and as the pastor held this tattered little purse, the 57 cents in his hand, and read this note, he, he was tearful, and he knew what he'd do. And so he uh, got up the next Sunday in front of the small church and told the story of this little girl, presented the little purse and the 57 cents, and read the note out, this girl's devotion for the work of the church. Um, and he encouraged the church to lift their vision and their faith and to Think about reaching more people. The story doesn't end there. A newspaper heard the story and published it, and it started spreading all through Philadelphia. A local real estate agent uh, offered the church a parcel of land worth many thousands of dollars at that time. Uh, the church couldn't afford the land, and so he sold it to the church for 57 cents. Church members began to give generously. Some large donations started coming in. Checks started coming in the mail from all over America. Within five years, this little girl's gift of 57 cents had increased $250,000. A lot of money in 1886 and a lot of money today. A huge sum for that time. Her unselfish love had paid large dividends. I'm told that if you go to the city of Philadelphia today and look up Temple Baptist Church, you will find a church building that seats 3,300 people. You'll find a university where students are trained. There's a Good Samaritan Hospital. There's a Sunday school building where hundreds of kids come every weekend to hear about Jesus. And in one of the rooms, there's a picture of this little girl. Here it is right here, coming up right now. Uh, Hattie Mae Wyatt. And right next to that photo is a photo of her pastor who kindly made some space for her in the Sunday school. Under the next slide is a picture of the building in 1900. This is 14 years after the girl passed away. That's what they ended up building in, in 1900. And there's the campus to, in 2010. 
and it's all the result of a little girl who saved 57 cents. You can read the story in, in a book called Acres of Diamonds, but it's pretty inspiring, and it just goes to show what God can do with even a small gift of 57 cents. Uh, there's many people and organizations today that do fundraising. Uh, we can think of the Salvation Army and their Red Shield appeal. Some of you might have given to the Australian Red Cross. Anyone heard of World Vision or Compassion? Uh, we sponsor a compassion child. Maybe you sponsor a child too. There's the Cancer Council of Victoria. And then there's the Bayside First Fruits Offering. You heard of that one too? Thank you for the enthusiasm. There's many groups that do fundraising for various causes. And you just heard about the Bayside First Fruits offering. Uh, you know, in Bible times, we actually have a record of a number of fundraising uh, events. Moses raised um, resources to build the tabernacle in the wilderness for the people to gather and meet with God. David gave a lot of his own personal funds and raised money for the temple that his son Solomon would build. And most of you have heard of the Apostle Paul. I mean, he had an encounter with Jesus that radically changed his life. He was a church planter, an evangelist, a missionary, a trainer. He wrote most of the New Testament. Did you know he was a fundraiser? He spent a fair bit of time raising money for uh, some needy people in the city of Jerusalem. And you'll read about this in the New Testament. There's quite large sections of the New Testament, and it refers to the collection that Paul was engaging in. And so I just want to give a bit of background. Just have a listen as I read Acts 11, 27 to 30. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and through the Spirit predicted a severe famine would spread through the entire Roman Empire. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift by the, to the elders by Barnabas and Paul. In the New Testament, we have many churches. Uh, the church in Jerusalem, you heard of that one. Church in Corinth, how many have heard of Corinth? They had a few problems. We've got a lot of letters to them. Uh, the church in Ephesus and the church in Antioch. Antioch was the third largest city in the Roman Empire, about 300,000 people. And there was a church there. It was an amazing church. God's grace was on the church. It was multicultural. They had a good leadership team of teachers and prophetic, kind of instructional and inspirational balanced ministry. Paul and Barnabas were there. And so this prophet comes and says there's going to be a severe famine. It's interesting that documents outside of the New Testament attest to a severe famine taking place during the reign of Claudius. And it was actually caused by crop failures in Egypt. Egypt was kind of like the food basket for the Mediterranean and they had huge crop failures. And therefore there was a severe ripple effect, particularly in Jerusalem and in Judea. And so the Christians there, they weren't being helped from the Jewish people at the temple anymore. They were in severe Need. And so this prophet says there's going to be a severe famine. And what I love about Antioch is when they hear that things are going to get a little tight, they don't turn inward, they turn outward. You'd think if you heard there was a famine coming, you'd start looking after yourself. You'd start being a prepper. Anyone heard of a prepper? There's a lot of preppers out there. Just do a little Google search. People that think the world's going to end pretty quickly and they've got underground houses and all food saved up. There's nothing wrong for, with preparing for the future. But Antioch doesn't turn inward, they actually turn outward and they say, how can we help those worse off than ourselves? 
And that's one of the things I love about Bayside is its heart for uh, those beyond us, the community. Sleeping at the G, we now got sleeping at the B. Um, I love the outward focus of Bayside. And Antioch was like this, and they're commended for it. Not only did Antioch give money for those in Jerusalem that were affected by the famine, but Paul went around uh, the churches he visited in Galatia and places like Corinth, telling them about this and collecting money for Jerusalem. And so I'm going to read a couple of the verses today um, from his fundraising instructions. And so have a listen just as I read some verses from 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Paul writing here, Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in His kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They were being tested by many troubles. They are very poor. Everyone say very poor. I don't know what poor means back then, but they're very poor. But they were filled with abundant joy. Wow. Joy is not dependent on circumstances. And it's overflowed in rich generosity. I can testify they gave not only what they could afford, but even far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in this gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They did even more than we had hoped. What an amazing story. He goes on in verse 7, says, Since you excel, Corinth, in many ways, in your faith and your teaching and your knowledge and your enthusiasm and your love, I want you to excel also in this generous or gracious act of giving. I'm not commanding you to do this. I'm testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of other churches. You know the generous grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Goes on to say, give in proportion to what you have. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. And give according to what you have, not what you don't have. I don't want your giving to make life easy for others and hard for yourselves. I only mean that there should be equality. Finally, it says, I want it to be a willing gift, not one given grudgingly. Remember, a farmer who plants a few seeds will get a small crop. But one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. Don't give reluctantly or under response to pressure. But God loves a person who gives cheerfully and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Thank God for His gift, too wonderful for words. And so like everything in the Bible, it was written for our benefit. There's, there's a lot of instructions there. And uh, there are some insights we can glean for any time we're giving to God's work. And so Pastor Rob asked if I'd share a few thoughts as we prepare for First Fruits offering this year on giving to God's work. And so I want to uh, glean some insights from how Paul raised funds to help us as a community as we're thinking about First Fruits offering for this year. So a couple of principles. Number one is to give willingly. No one has to give. And everyone said... This will be the easiest amen in today's message for you. No one has to give. Everyone said? Amen. I mean, that's good news, isn't it? You, just, you can breathe now. The money talk's always a bit like going to the dentist, isn't it? You know? It's going to help you, but it may, may just be a little uncomfortable. Uh, no one has to give. I love Paul's approach. There's no manipulation. 
There's no arm twisting. There's no pressure. There's no guilt motivation. Uh, look, look at the words that he uses. He says, I'm not commanding you to make a donation. Uh, he, he talks to Corinth about the Galatians. says, they did it out of their free will. In fact, they begged us to be involved. I want you to give eagerly, give with enthusiasm. You must decide in your heart how much to give. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. And so Paul models that giving to God's work, it's voluntary. It's uh, something we do willingly. It's not a command. You don't have to be involved. It's entirely up to you. He just trusts people's hearts that uh, as they hear about the cause and the need, that they'll give with eagerness and enthusiasm. The same thing happened in the Old Testament uh, with Moses and David and those building projects. Uh, God gave a vision to the leaders. The leaders presented it to them. They said to the people, anyone who has a willing heart, come and contribute for God's work. And, you know, in both of those stories, the people brought so much that Moses had to get up and make an announcement. We've got enough money. Stop giving. That's pretty cool, isn't it? I've grown up in church. I thought that was only in the Bible. You know, I experienced that a few years ago. We did a big fundraising project over at City Life. It was a $7 million major expansion of the church and the children's areas. And it was a big hill to climb. And we planned to do this over three years. And so we shared the vision. And Nicole and I gave sacrificially. And people made pledges. And uh, we got the building done on time and on budget. They were two miracles um, if you've done any building work. Uh, but you know what? We actually raised all the money. Uh, we, it was all paid off. We had money in the bank, no bank loan, and there were still a bunch of pledges outstanding that people hadn't given. And so we met as a leadership team. Well, what, what do we do? Like, like we're actually, we've, we've finished the building, and yet people still have these pledges they haven't met. So I got up on the weekend and said, hey, hey, if you've got a pledge you haven't actually completed, you're released from your pledge. You don't need to give anymore. I had phone calls from pastors that week saying, you're an idiot. Which pastor gets up and says, stop giving? We actually experienced that. But wouldn't it be great if we experienced that right here? You know, uh, 25,000 comes in and, hey, all those works are paid for. Hey, we're done. We don't need any more. I think that'd be great. But it's not through someone kind of twisting everyone's arm. It's through people's hearts, giving with a willing and a voluntary spirit. So, so please, Bayside, uh, First Fruits Offering, don't be pressured. Don't feel obligated. It's a heart issue. Where your heart is, your money kind of follows. So that's the first thing we learned from Paul. Number two sounds a little contradictory. Not only give willingly, but he actually says everyone should consider giving. <laughs> it's kind of like you don't have to, but you really should. See, because Paul believed in the cause that he was promoting. And so he wanted everyone, each one should consider in their heart what they should give. Each one should decide. And so uh, here at Bayside, no one has to give. Uh, you don't have to be involved. But we really want to encourage everyone to pray and, and to actually consider giving something. Uh, you know, we're often benefiting from those that have given before us. And sometimes as Christians, we kind of think stuff happens for free. How many know there's no such thing as a free lunch? Like, there are free lunches, but how many know someone's paying for the lunch? You know, you're sitting on a chair today. Someone paid for that chair. Like, it just didn't you know, explode into being. Uh, 
you know, it's, sometimes Christians don't get this. So we did a community event years ago, and a big Saturday, we had jumping castles and sausages and all kinds of stuff. It was an amazing big day, and we had a kind of a golden coin donation. You know, people from our church were going, why are we charging for this? You know what people in the community were saying? Only $2? This is amazing. Interesting attitude. People in the community were going, only $2 and we get all this? Christians were going, why are we charging? Now, now again, not in Bayside, but, but in other churches, sometimes just kind of Christians think well, everything's for free. Hasn't someone who paid for this? You know, no, the, the, the gospel's free, but it costs money to put a kids program on, to have recording, to put a podcast out this week, to have leaders, to cre- create some comfortable, these are nice seats, I tell you what. Uh, I've been in some churches with those plastic seats that on a cold morning, uh, let me tell you, you're feeling the ice, not the heat, you know. It, it costs money. And so buildings don't change people's lives, but what happens in them can and does. People come to faith. People connect with God. People make relationships. People are transformed. And so uh, just, just you don't have to, but I reckon everyone should consider doing something. You might have heard this old parable. There were once four people by the name of everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. There was an important job to be done, and everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Now, somebody got angry about it because it was everybody's job. But everybody thought anybody could do it, but nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. In the end, everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done. Could you repeat that after me? But it's so true in life. If we all sit here and go, first fruits offering, somebody will do that. How many know nobody's going to do that? And so we want to encourage everybody. It may just be 57 cents. Everybody to consider uh, giving towards God's work. We're all going to benefit, so let's all contribute. Don't leave it to somebody else. Our third principle uh, is to prepare to give. Prayerfully decide what you can do. Paul says, set aside some money during the week and then bring it. This, this is amazing in fundraising. The decision was to be made before the actual meeting. This is no kind of emotional pressured meeting, lock the doors, you know, we're going to keep taking multiple offerings till we hit the target. There's none of this hasty decision stuff. He actually says, I want you to pray about it. I want you to prepare. I want you to think, use wisdom, use faith as you manage your finances and come prepared to give. That's a really wise advice for anyone who raises funds. You know, this kind of pressure on the moment. Often people make hasty decisions. And so we're saying here at Bayside, over the next couple of weeks, uh, take this card and maybe you're going to make a one-off gift or, or a monthly amount that you can give. Look at your finances. We taught the 10-10-80 plan last year about giving and saving and living within your means. Uh, now's the time just to put everything on the table and go, Lord, What would you want to do through me for our church at this time? You might give of something you have, or you might want to sell something. How many know we all accumulate a lot of stuff? Come on, most of us have double garages and we can't fit our cars in. (laughs) Fastest growing business in Australia, self-storage. Because we've got so much stuff. Anyone heard of Marie Kondo? Little Japanese lady going around helping people declutter their house. She says, get all your clothes from every room and put them in one pile. 
you'll be shocked how much you have. Hold each item and say, does this spark joy? For some of you, it sparked joy 20 years ago. <laughs> Just keep the few that spark joy. And there's a bunch of other stuff that could spark joy for somebody else. So put some stuff up on eBay, Facebook Marketplace, Gumdrop. Don't sell other people's stuff, just your stuff. <laughs> But I tell you what, you could declutter a bunch of stuff. We're doing this right now. Got a TV someone's picking up today. Uh, you know, it, we don't need any more. It was my, uh, my, my um, stepmoms. And so you've got a bit of cash. That, that can be a way you can give. There's so many creative ways to give. But prepare, pray. What could you give to God's work? Uh, next point is to give proportionally. Not equal gifts, but equal sacrifice. Paul says, in keeping with your income, give in proportion to what you have. You know, that little girl only gave 57 cents. Most of us have that in our pocket right now. But for her, that was everything she has. It's nothing to do with the amount. It's about the proportion and the, the heart that's involved. And so you might be able to give one week's income over the next 12 months. That'd be great. Some of you couldn't give that much. A bunch of you could give a lot more than that. It's not about equal amounts. In fact, I think it's much better that we all do something and hit the target than one person writes a check and it's all done and we all just enjoy the benefit. Now, if you can do that, that's okay. But when we all contribute, there's a sense of ownership in what's happening in our church. Next point, give generously. God is your supplier. You know, this was an agricultural society. We kind of uh, a little distant from that because we've come through the industrial revolution, the technological revolution. Now we're in a knowledge society. Uh, but back then, Paul actually says, uh, you know, giving's like sowing seed. And it, it, there's going to be a harvest. If you uh, plant generously, then you're going to reap generously. Again, our, our motivation when we give is not to get. This is not some kind of prosperity gospel that we, we kind of give so we, 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 we get rich. But Paul says, you know, if, if you sow some seeds, you're going to reap a harvest. If you sow a lot of seeds, you'll reap a, a large harvest. Uh, that's not our motive, but that is our expectation. Uh, I can tell you many stories of people giving generously and God ending up blessing them. You know, that fundraising project we did at our church, Nicole and I gave the biggest pledge we've ever given in our life. It was a stretch. We had two cars and we decided to sell Nicole's car and try to live on one for a, live with one vehicle and give that money and some other. It was a, it was a big commitment that we made and, and we did it because God uh, prompted us to do so. We're excited. You know, a couple of years later, we had a, a transaction that actually returned to us all that we'd given and more. <laughs> and it wasn't like, you know, we're some amazing money managers. God blessed us for our generosity. Uh, we had a single parent in the church who was a hairdresser by herself, little salon, and, and she pledged a, a very large amount. You know, within six months, she'd doubled her clients and had to put on a part-time staff member, and she was just full of joy. We had a, a senior, a, a, a retired couple who'd saved their money for their dream holiday to Canada, the Canadian Rockies. They had this money in the bank. And you know, when everyone was praying, God, what do you want to do through me? They felt to give that money to the project. No, no one's telling them. No, they just felt, hey, let's give that and let's give it willingly. And they thought, we don't need that holiday. We want to build what's happening at the church, something that will last forever. You know, a couple of years later, the ladies... 
uh, the lady had an aunt, a bit of a distant aunt, who passed away and left a surprise inheritance. And the amount was way more than they had saved up for their holidays. And guess what? They went to the Canadian Rockies. Now, I'm just telling you these stories just to say, you know, when you give, when you give generously, if God can get stuff through you, He can keep getting stuff to you. One of the Bible names of God is His Jehovah Jireh. The Lord is our provider. And so give generously, trusting God. Next principle, give joyfully. God loves a cheerful giver. Uh, the churches in Macedonia, they were very poor, but they were filled with joy. And so we want people to be excited. First fruits offering this year, be excited about it. It's a good cause. It's not a drudgery. It's not, our oh, Mark's talking about money again. Uh, it's a good cause. We get to invest in what God is doing at the church. And final principle from Paul's teaching is to excel in the grace of giving. Uh, Paul's a little cheeky. He writes to this church at Corinth, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 7. He says, you, you excel in many ways. You're actually good at a lot of things in Corinth. He says, you're good at faith. You've got some amazing teaching. You've got some incredible knowledge. You're passionate. You love one another. He says, I want you to excel in the grace of giving. He says, you're good at all these things, but how about you excel in this grace of giving. You know, we tend to get excited about what we're passionate about. <laughs> you know, whatever your passion is, if someone's preached on that, that was the best message ever at Bayside this year. Could be social justice, could be missions, could be evangelism, could be pastoral care, could be spiritual disciplines. You know, if the preacher's preaching about what you're passionate about, that was anointed today. <laughs> you know what? If you've got a gift of giving, this is the best message you've heard all year. Thank you for those two amens. <laughs> What's Paul saying? He says, you know what? Don't just excel in the areas you're excelling. Let's all excel and be excited about giving generously to God's work. You know what? Because God's a generous giver and he wants us to be like him. And so I think there's some great insights from Paul, how he went about raising funds to help us over these next few weeks as we take this card home, as we pray. God, you bless me. What's on the table? What could I give this year? Maybe it's just 57 cents. Maybe it's a check for 25,000. Hey, we've all got different capacities, but what could you do this year? We're just asking everyone to pray and obey what you feel prompted to do. Amen?